session tonight. Um, I guess this is morning for the first time. I'm going to ask my daughter, Georgia, to come up with us and sing this next one. I think you'll know this one. Uh, you guys sing along with us if you know this second last piece. So let's just wait a big second. She might be a little nervous. We didn't have this many people in church this morning.
Thank you guys so much, and they will be singing again in just a few moments. At this time, let's stand and shake hands. If you see someone who's a visitor, please let them know that you're glad to see them here at the church tonight. Let's do that right now. Look, thank you guys. Thank y'all for coming tonight. Everybody that visits, Garnell, we'll finish visiting now, okay? <laughs> Look, Norma Jean's jealous. She's sitting in the middle of the pew and she can't get out to kiss other men. We're, we are so happy to have everybody here tonight. But look, there's a special guest we have. His name is Corey Wall. Corey, come up here. Come on. Come on up here. <laughs> Man, it is so good to see you, Corey. Let me tell you a couple of things. You know, Corey was here for like 13 months, and, uh, and, and I, I've, I'll be honest, I have missed you. I really, really have. And I remember the transition that we saw in this young man. Uh, you got something to say back in the back? Oh, Corey, okay. Bryson, Bryson had his picture in the paper, and he just wants everybody to know about it, playing ball and everything. But I remember the first month that Corey was here, and Ronnie Bowes is, where's Ronnie at? Where's Ronnie Bowes? Where you at, Ronnie? Back in the back. Ronnie's grandson kept coming up to Corey after the services and said, you're something special. I mean, it happened week after week, and Corey just didn't know. And he said, why do you keep doing that? He said, my granddad's always saying that. He said, that man ain't no preacher. He's something else. <laughs> and you ought to have seen him tonight at supper. You know, Norma Jean came over and kissed him, and I swore he looked like a bead in the face. I thank every bit of his blood. And I called his mom. I said, is something wrong with Corey? I've never seen him get, get. And she said, Lord, child, since you left North Carolina, ain't no woman kissed him but me. <laughs> Corey, I've asked you up here to ask you to say the prayer. Would you do that? <laughs> I'm glad to see that nothing has changed. <laughs> How long have you been here? 30? 30? 37? Has it gotten better or worse? Or? <laughs> they're, hey, they're planning to celebrate when I leave. Have you heard about that? <laughs> I bet so. I bet so. <laughs> you know, it only took me 13 months to get the hint, but it's taken you 37. <laughs> 
Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for, uh, once again, uh, allowing us to come to your house. Dear God, we just, I thank you for Theresa. I thank you for what it means to me. And dear God, I just pray that you would continue to bless it and that you would um, continue to bless Herbert and his ministry. And dear God, I just pray that um, this week, a revival, it just wouldn't take up space on the calendar, but that, um, that, that, you, would, that you would speak to us. Uh, and dear God, we just pray that you'd be with Tim and, and all the services this week, dear God, that you would just lay the messages on his heart, that you would have him to preach. And dear God, that we can say that this revival, um, that, that you did a work and that you um, that you showed out. And dear God, we just are expecting of that tonight um, and for the days to come. And it's in your holy and most precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, welcome to Revival. We're going to start by hymn number 490, Send a Great Revival, and we'll sing all four verses. So everyone, please stand. <laughs> Bye. 
Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you for coming tonight. You know, I don't know if this really means anything or not, but it blesses my heart uh, when the house of God is not only filled with people, but when the lights are on and cars are in the parking lot, and even if people that are not believers or not affiliated with the church come by, they're aware that something is happening. Our world needs a great awakening, a great revival, and it's going to start in the church if it happens. It's got to start in the local church. That's how God works. I'm just grateful that you're here tonight. Thank you guys for coming and singing. We're going to have a prayer time, and uh, then I'll say a couple words of introduction to Tim, and and then uh, Brad and the group will sing again. Then Tim will come and lead us in worship. A lot of folks that we could mention. I just want to um, quickly uh, share with you the folks who are going to have surgery tonight. You were made aware this morning. Um, but Mrs. Tuck, Annie Mae Tuck, many of you remember her. She's one of the senior adults. She died uh, early this morning. Don't have um, the arrangements yet, but they will be in South Boston. That is where she was originally from before she came to Roxboro. But also, please remember these folks that are going to have surgery uh, this week. Casey Merston, Merston, the pastor at Oak Grove, Sidney Newton, and also Donna Parham. And um, I, I just ask you, look around you and, and see the folks that you know that, uh, that need prayers. Even though they're here tonight, um, a lot of folks have got the flu. Uh, other families that are grieving because of losing loved ones, the Gene Clayton family and the John Downs family also. And we ask that you would remember them. So let's have a few moments of silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we already know that you're here. And Lord, we pray that our hearts and minds will be open to what you want to do tonight here in this place. We thank you for the singing of your word. We thank you for the preaching of your word. And God, when we leave this place, may we go out to live your word and be empowered by your spirit and share the good news of your son. God, I thank you that many have turned and come to this place tonight. God, I pray that we would not let anything interfere tonight with worshiping you and with hearing from your word. And God, as we take moments to lift others up in prayer, we do pray, Father, for the many that are not only on our prayer list, but the prayer list of the churches that are represented here tonight. And God, I I just pray that you would you would meet the needs. Father, thank you that you are the, you're the chain breaker. Lord, you're the way maker. You're a pain taker, Lord, as the song has said. God, I just pray tonight that your spirit would just control all that is said and done. And God, that we would hear the very word of God. Father, thank you again for loving each and every one of us. God, many of us have been saved for many years. Help us never to forget that day when you called out to us and thank you for the salvation that you've given us 
Thank you, Father, for allowing us to know you, not only in this life, but to know you throughout eternity. And God, burden us for the people that are in our families and are in this community that do not yet know your son. God, help our lives to be real. Help us, Father, not to be fake Christians because it's not fake news that we represent and we share. It is truly the good news of the Savior. And Father, again, as we gather here, Lord, may your will be done. Just bless again the group that sings and bless Tim as he shares your word. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. I don't think I need to introduce Tim, but I want to just say a couple of quick words. Tim uh, grew up in the McGee's Mill, Ephesus Church area. Uh, God has blessed his life and blessed his ministry. He has given him uh, his wife, Care, and their two daughters, uh, Katie and Rachel. He serves as the director of My Life Matters, been there for 12 years, and also the pastor at East Rock Baptist Church, or East Rock Church, and he's been there for nine and a half years. Tim, we're just glad. Where'd you go? Where Tim was in the back. Okay, I was scared he was going to run down the aisle, you know, whenever, whenever it came time. If you feel like doing that, you just come right on, y'all. But just kind of lean to one side, all right? But, uh, but anyway, guys, come on back and sing again, okay? Thank you. 
chapter 10 with us tonight. We up-tempo it just a little bit. I think you know it. If you're able to stand and stand, we're going to introduce Brother Kenneth Owens right after this. We'll make him lay down and sing with us. It's called I Saw the Light. God, I think the Holy Spirit might be here. I saw somebody's hands go above their shoulder. (laughs) And they didn't fall, their arms didn't fall off. Wow. (laughs) Praise God. You know, how could you tell if revival broke loose? Some of you guys remember those days when you'd have tent revivals. 
where there was this small town and they had a tent revival out on the edge of town and they set it up right across the street from this fella's house and this fella was rough as a dry cob and the first night they had the services, you know, he, uh, he was mocking people as they drove up and got out of their car. But by about the third night, he was sitting on the porch, and, and he was listening from across the street a little bit. And by the time the weekend come, he, he slid on in the back. And he came under the preaching of God's word and conviction of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of that last service, he you know, they say that sawdust trail. He walked that sawdust trail, man, and gave his life to the Lord, man. And it was snot flying everywhere. <laughs> he was crying. His neighbors were crying. You know, because, they, they, man, this guy was rough, and everybody knew it. And he, he just said, preacher, I got something I want to say, you know. And preacher said, tell it, brother. He said, I, I, I gamble too much, and, and I want to repent. He said, tell it, brother. Tell it all. He said, I, I, I've been running around on my wife. Tell it, brother. Tell it all. I've been spending all my money down at the pool hall. Tell it all, brother. I mean, tell it all, brother. Preacher, I just want to confess. He said, tell it, brother. He said, every Sunday when my wife goes to the grocery store, I dress up in her clothes and put on makeup. <laughs> I don't believe I'd have told that, brother. The person's unnamed in this story was not me. <laughs> I want to remind you again, as I'm going to do every time, of what I think it would look like if a revival really broke loose in your personal life, in this congregation, and across our community. I think if revival really broke loose, if God really got a hold to us, if we really opened the way and let him do whatever he wanted to do, I believe we would be humble before God and people. I believe a spirit of confession would break loose. I do. I believe we would become honoring to God in our lifestyle in a fresh way. We would change. We would be more kingdom focused. We wouldn't be so self-centered in, in how we do with our, with our time, talent, and treasure. And we would be helpful to people in the love and in the name of God. We would be so others focused that we would stop trying to figure out if people deserved it. And we just remember that we give because our God's a giver and he came to us when we didn't deserve it. Amen. And we'd help folks and we'd share the gospel. We'd get concerned about our, our lost kinfolks and our lost neighbors and we'd, we'd ache over them in prayer. That's what would change. We'd be humble, we'd honor God, and we'd be helpful. Amen. And the world would know and person counting would know that the church is alive. Amen. So tonight I want to ask you to turn with me to Daniel chapter number one. And as you do that, I'm, I'm glad it's you tonight. I like young people. I, I've been young a couple times. <laughs> I'm going for four childhoods. I've already had a couple. I was a baby in the world. I've been a baby in the Lord. And I'm probably going to be a baby again some kind of way. And I want, to, I want to speak to the young people, and I hope some of y'all can sop up your leftover gravy, but I want to talk to the young people. You know, young people, I, I don't judge you. I am so glad I'm not a teenager in this time. If they was putting on social media the things I was doing when I was 14, 15, 16, whoo, Jesus. <laughs> the world they have to navigate is so tough. 
And I think tonight I want to speak to you a little bit, young people, about navigating this very difficult world. And I'm not picking on you. I'm not here to make you feel bad. Now, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to you because he loves you. And he wants to bring you to something so he can bring you through something. He wants to bring you to the hard thing so he can bring you to God. So if you know that my heart isn't to beat you up, if the Holy Spirit comes to speak to you, you'll know who's working. Because I believe it's a tough world. I really, really do. So tonight, one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite Bible characters. But the point isn't for us to be like Daniel. The point is for us to draw near to God like Daniel did. The story isn't for you people, you young people especially, to be just like Daniel because you live in a unique time and you have a unique story. But that same God who was faithful to Daniel will be faithful to you. So I want to look in Daniel chapter number one. And as much as it, it might be funny to read this much, I want to read this whole chapter 17, ver- 21, ver- it's some verses, <laughs> 20, 21, I forgot for a second. So you hang with me, beginning in verse number one, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz. How come nobody ever names their kids like that name out of the Bible? The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Get this right here. Youths without blemish youths without this is probably 15 to 18 year olds 14 to 20 year olds somewhere in that range is what this word probably means youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom where'd they get them teenagers from (laughs) endowed with knowledge understanding learning and competent to stand in the king's palace And to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel, get this now, look at me, church, look at the word I mean, look at the word, but Daniel, what? Resolved. He decided in his heart, he resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Let's just pause right there and pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the life of Daniel, but more than anything, thank you that you met Daniel in his life. Father, we don't want to be like Daniel. We want to be like Jesus. So, Father, as we study this story, let us not seek to emulate a man, but, uh, but let us, like that man, seek to run after you. In Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. We'll get to the rest of that passage in a moment. Young people, I'm not saying something to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. The world wants to eat you alive. It does. I know I got some in the back, some other places. The world wants to eat your life. I can prove it to you biblically, and you know it experientially. The Bible says that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 
The devil is after everybody, not just young people. But young people are inexperienced in the world. And like, like the young of any flock, they become easy prey. So tonight, as we look at Daniel's story, I want you to see what the world is requiring of you and what a Christian should resolve to do and how the Lord rewards faithfulness. Let's just jump right in. What does the world require of you? The world wants to bring you under a state system. I don't know if we realize that, but every government wants everybody to go along and get along so that you got peace in the land. If If the government doesn't do that, they're just a rotten government. And part of what that is, is the government's got an idea of the things they should teach you and push you toward that are going to make you a peaceful citizen. We see here in Daniel's time that these youths, they were were at a loss of their culture. They were drug out of their country. They were drug out of their families. They were drug out of their religious system. And they were brought right into the king of Babylon's courts. And he told them, says, listen, I want you to change these guys' lives. I want you to change their focus, their worldview. I want you to change everything about them because I want them to serve me. Well, it's no different in our time. It's no different in our time. This whole culture, the whole world, everything's trying to get our young people and even our old people to follow along with the system of the world. It's no different. But look at what they do here to change these guys' identity. One of the first things they do to them is pull them out of their people. Pull them out of their people. I'm not preaching against public school. I love public school. I'm married to a public school teacher. She makes more money than me. I better not talk ugly about her. (laughs) But I'm saying, have you ever just stopped to notice that usually public schools spend more time with your kids than you do? They spend more mental time with your kids, shaping their thinking. You ever thought about that? That means the duty of Christian parents is to be super intentional about those non-school hours. Because if you think I'm dogging the school, you ain't listening. I'm just telling you, you got to put as much work into raising them up into the fear and admonition of the Lord as the school is ignoring that very thing. And young people, if you want to have any hope of not being derailed from a life of faith, you've got to put some sweat equity into your own spiritual growth. But what happened to Daniel is he's plucked right out of his family. These other guys are plucked right out of their family. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they're pulled right out of their family. And they're pulled right out of their customs and right out of their cultures. And they're given another education, too. Did you notice that? They want to put them through a Chaldean school. How much does that happen around us? How much does does things regularly taught in schools that are absolutely against what we would teach from the Scriptures? And we're actually told that it's antiquated and foolish to believe this book. Now, I believe in something called antithetical learning. In other words, you show me something that I know ain't true, and I'll know the argument about how it's not true now. So am I saying that all education is negative? Actually, I'm saying a lot of it's positive. I'm a genius, and I graduated from person. (laughs) It only took me three or four tries. I mean... (laughs) Just hearing this story, I see some parallels of what's going on in our life. Because such a high focus on what you're going to do with your life rather than who you're going to be in this life. So what do we have to do? We don't reject learning how to conjugate uh, 
sentences and, 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 and we don't reject learning foreign languages and figuring out biology and going to math classes and blah, blah, blah. We don't reject that. We just got to learn to make for ourselves the highest priority about the most important things. Let me say that again. Young people, you have to learn for yourselves to make the highest priorities about the most important things. Because this world is not going to do it for you. The world's not going to line Jesus up and put him out front. You old people, you come home and you give more time to what's on TV than you do what's in the Word. You got to realign your priorities because all those things are shaping how you look at the world. They first make a mockery of something that they want to change. Then they make a normalcy of something they want to change. And then we see it land on the sidewalk next to us. That's what's happening all around us. Now listen to me close because I'm married to a public school teacher and I don't want to be misunderstood. I know it's other people here that work in the school system. I'm just saying that as Christian peoples, we have to be super intentional about how we inculcate, how we teach, how we lead our young people. And young people, you got to take responsibility for it too because it's likely that Daniel was about 15. Most likely he was probably 18. What does most people do around here at 18 years old? They go off to work or college, they're broken away from the tether of their home, and they then themselves have to stand or fall on their own faith. We see it all the time. So they've broken away from their family, they're inculcating them with a different education. They give them a new name. I won't spend much time on this, it's just interesting. Daniel, Hebrew name, means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael means God is without equal. Azariah means the Lord is my helper. They change their name. Daniel becomes Belteshazzar, which means Baal will protect. Baal is a pagan god. Hananiah became Shadrach, which means the, it's, it's a name after one of their sun gods, like the inspiration of the sun. It's one way to translate it. Meshach, Mishael becomes Meshach, and it means belonging to Aku, which is another foreign god. Azariah becomes Abednego, which means servant of Nego, another foreign god. See, this is a shift in identity. What does the world try to call you that God hasn't called you? Think about how the world is trying to shift your identity. If you'll notice something here, you'll notice something. Pick back up in the scripture in verse number nine. Excuse me, verse number eight. Daniel had something in his heart. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Why pick this one issue? Why does he pick this one issue? Why doesn't he say, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't going to make me take no Chaldean math. (laughs) Why doesn't he say, you ain't going to call me by no Chaldean name. (laughs) They ain't even raising the fuss about being taken from their mom and daddies. You know what he says is, I ain't going to eat that. Why that? You know why? Because God never said in his word that it's wrong or sinful or unhelpful to change your name. God never said in his word that it's wrong for you to learn foreign languages and science. God never said in his word that you have to stay in your parents' home among your people for all your life. But in Leviticus chapter 11 to the Hebrew people, God said, don't you eat that mess. That's a Tim Bowes translation. What am I saying, young people? Am I telling you don't go to Bojangles? Yes. 
No, I'm not. I'm telling you that the line of demarcation, the deciding spot, the character shaper, your rule book has to be this book. And that rule book doesn't say that you can't change your name. It doesn't say that you could not learn science and, and Spanish. It doesn't say that you can't move away somewhere. You know what it says, though? It says lots of things that should direct your life. And this has to be our standard and let the church say amen. amen. Let me pick on the old folks for a moment. You know, the Bible has a big prohibition on idols. How many idols do we set up in our life? And I'm, we flat out worship at them. What does worship mean? It means to count something as worthy. How much do we worship at the idol of sports? Playing them, watching them. We will get in an argument over a stinking team. Like cotton picking Carolina Duke has paid your mortgage this month. It's funny, but we got to repent. We'll argue over the political candidates. Do you notice that we're still paying taxes? Both sides is doing that. <laughs> Hobbies, vacation spots. Some of us need to start drawing some new lines of demarcation. We have to decide our friends and their salvation and their edification. Strengthening Christian folks is more important than whether you like the ram or the devil. I'd like to take note that I resist the devil and I sacrifice the ram. So, <laughs> And if you think I like steak, you got to watch out for the wolves in your midst. We've got to decide our friends are worth more than these arguments. We've got to decide that people that are not our friends are worth more than this. We have to raise the bar of our conversation. We have to raise the bar of our behavior. Young people, the other day I was sitting with some young people because I do things like that. And they were chattering on about a fist fight that happened, what, last week? I'm not going to name names, but some of y'all have heard of it, especially if you go to person. Two boys went out to Olive Hill and somebody videoed the thing and, and they said so-and-so won the fight, but so-and-so got knocked out. Now, I don't know where y'all from. If you get knocked out, you lost the fight. <laughs> Mike Tyson made millions of dollars knocking people out. He said, I won the fight. <laughs> but I got, I, I got upset. You know why I got upset? I got upset because I said, how did y'all see this? So-and-so videoed it. Why are you looking at it? I ain't do it. They immediately start. I ain't do nothing. I didn't go out there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you sharing it? Why are you spreading it? You tell us. This, this young people I go to church with. You tell us you love Jesus. You got to raise the ball. Amen. When somebody tries to show you that mess, you got to say, I don't want to see it. You might not can fix it. You might not can change it. But you ain't got to take part in it. You got to set some lines of demarcation that change you from the crowd. But, 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 I said, you know, you sit on your butt. Don't tell me that. Tell me something else. Now, I wasn't trying to embarrass him. Their parents weren't. None of them's parents were around. We were sitting in Kentucky Fried Chicken. Eating Taco Bell. 
and, and, and I'm blessed. You know, I'm blessed. I didn't know none of the boys' names that got in the fight, and, and uh, I, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know. So I was really blessed. And, and I just said, stop talking about it. Stop. Stop. You quiet a word before you separate friends. That's what the Proverbs say, right? I'm just saying that as an illustration right here in our little county. Two, two guys get mad, they go off and fight. Their friends record the dumb thing, pass it around all week, keep it going, start other trouble. I can't stop that from happening. Somebody say amen. amen. But I can tell you what I can do is I cannot be involved in that foolishness. You can't, you grown folks, you can't stop people from arguing over Duke and Carolina and Trump and Hillary or Trump and this and Trump and that, apparently Trump versus the world. You can't stop it, but you can say, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to be different. I'm going to live different. Why am I going to be different and live different? Because the Bible tells me so. And that's what happened in Daniel's life. Daniel says, you know, you can teach me this language. You can change my name. You can take me away from my home. But here's where the bug stopped. God said, don't eat it. I'm not going to eat it. The world wants to wipe away your Christian ideals and identity. And you have to be the one to draw the line. I can draw the line for my girls. They're 16 and 13. I can draw the line till they leave my house. But at some point, I'm going to fall over dead or they're going to go live somewhere else and they're going to have to draw the line. And I'm telling you, if you don't learn to say yes and no to what you ought to say yes and no to now, you'll, you'll always fall for anything. Back in the 70s, I'm not telling nobody to go listen to this song, so go ahead and get over yourself. But back in the 70s, there was this rock guy. Y'all like this. His name was Meatloaf. You got a name like Meatloaf, I will listen to a couple songs. I mean... He, you know, he should have got some of them girls to sing for him. He should have called them A1 and Ketchup. <laughs> but he had this song, and the song was all about a guy was sort of emotionally pressuring a girl to go further than she wanted to go. Is that everybody clear on what I mean? And, the, you know, he's singing like it's a conversation between this boy and this girl. And, and, and she says, the girl in the song says, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You see, I always like that song. It's an honest confession that that girl really wanted love. Who wants love in this place? She says, I won't do that. I won't do that. That's not how I'm going to start that thing, right? I always thought that was actually a pretty sharp song in that way. And the song sort of says the guy's going crazy and he's trying everything to emotionally push this girl where he wants and, and she says, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> Sometimes we have to change the words. I would love to be accepted in this group, but not on that level. I'd love to be liked by my neighbors, but not on those terms. I'd love for my coworkers to look up to me but not on the wrong terms. See, Daniel got something about his walk with Jesus. God didn't say you can't do everything, but God said you can't do some things. Secondly, look at what he resolves. Daniel dared to be decisive and said, I'm not going to do it. Daniel dared to walk by faith. He trusted God even to speak. In the minimum, they would have said, hush your mouth. In the maximum, they could have put him to death. They didn't care about them people. They were slaves. Daniel dared to live in expectation that God would come through. I challenge 
everyone in here to live a daring life. I'm not telling you to live by my rules. Somebody say amen. I'm asking you to stand shoulder to shoulder with me and you get in the word of God. If you've got and you do, you have an under shepherd in this house and some of you guests here tonight, you have great Bible teaching under shepherds in your houses of worship, but there nothing will ever replace the gift of God giving you the ability to read and commune with him. Find out what this book says and set some lines in your life. And not just lines about what you don't do, set some lines about what you plan to do. If we were to imagine a sin being on a speedometer, let's use the analogy of murder. One mile per hour is too much. Jesus says if you have anger in your heart, it's the same as murder. So Jesus says, thinking about it, being bitter inside is too much. That's speeding. And for the believer, it's not enough just to get to zero to say, whew, I'm not doing any bad things. God wants you to burn the road up the other way. He wants you to go do goodness. Go act in love. So it's not enough just to say, well, I was pretty good today. I didn't cuss anybody out. And I drove all the way to Rougemont without doing that. (laughs) It's not good enough to say, I didn't get mad at my my brother today. It's mostly because I didn't think about him. But now that I'm... I'm kind of angry. It's not enough to say, I didn't do this. Man, we, we, we as a church, we got to get on the move and the go-do stuff. But where does it start? It starts with you saying, there's just some things I'm not going to do. Here's the line. And here's some things I'm always going to do. When he was somewhere around 18, 19, he'd gone off to college. There was a guy named Jonathan Edwards, and this was in the 1700s. When people spoke English here. And he made a list over the course of two or three years of 70 resolutions. Young guy. Any of y'all, any of y'all know somebody in college right now? You in college? <laughs> Anybody know somebody in college? I want you to picture him in your mind right now. Could you imagine that person sitting down and writing 70 resolutions that pertain to their life in the Lord and how they want to live it. We're just kind of hoping they don't kill themselves with a beer pong. (laughs) A bong or something. I don't know. I quit that stuff. This guy made 70 resolutions. I would love to read the whole list. Let me just give you a sample. Number one is really long, so I'll go to number two. He said, resolve to be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention and contrivance to promote aforementioned things. In other words, he goes back to number one. And number one was, I really want to live for God's glory. That's the summation. He says, I want to keep finding ways to live for God's glory. So I want to live for God's glory, and I want to keep finding fresh ways to live for God's glory. Number three, he says, resolve, if I ever shall fall and grow dull so as to neglect to keep any part of these resolutions to repent of all I can remember when I come to myself again. In other words, that's an old school way of saying when I mess up and I realize it, I'm going to repent and get back going. On and on and on. Number seven, I want to read. Number seven, says, resolve. Now get this one. You ready? Never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. <laughs> you ever thought about that? You're doing this and then you meet the maker. And he goes, hey, what you been doing? Well, 
But you see what had happened, Jesus. <laughs> What's your resolutions? What have you purposed in your heart in regards to your spiritual journey? I think there's some minimums. For example, I have resolved in my heart to be at church all the time. I have resolved to be at my, in my house of worship every Sunday. Amen. I like it so good that I went over there before I came over here. <laughs> I have resolved in my in my heart, to love the local church and to serve it and through it. That means to serve the brethren and to serve alongside the brethren. I have purposed in my heart to be a giver. I can tell y'all, I'm not even satisfied to be a tither. I want to be a tither plus. I have resolved in my heart to love the word of God, to read it, to memorize it, to live by it, to discuss it, to think about it, to meditate on it, and to direct my way in every affair of my heart and deed by the word of God. I have purposed in my heart to shun lukewarm Christianity. And and like Jonathan Edwards, if I find myself cooling off, I'm going to get up next to the fire. Young people, you have to decide much of who you want to be before who you are is tested. And I say that again. You have to decide much of who you want to be before who you are is tested. Maybe I can illustrate like this. Before I knew the Lord, everybody has morals. Church, say amen. amen. Some of our morals distinct. <laughs> so before I knew the Lord, I had some morals. Like I would say, I would have said it like this. I don't believe in adultery. My definition was of adultery was I don't mess with any married women. Found out Jesus had a radically different view of adultery. So disappointing to learn these things. I had always said I will always help out. This is a value of mine shaped by a dear friend of mine that I grew up with that died very young. I would always help out people weaker than me, especially those handicapped. And I had always vowed that I wouldn't lay hands on a woman and I wouldn't do nothing to hurt an old person. That was my morals. You know, I couldn't even keep them messing gear. I really couldn't. I, I really found out that the, this, the very few amount of morals I had, I'd mess them up. And it wasn't always because I'd run and do something bad. I just didn't run to do something good. It wasn't just that I was living in neutral as I wasn't living on go. It's not enough. It's not enough to just say I'm not going to do this. You also got to know what you plan to do. And you have to decide much of who you want to be before who you are is tested. I never have hit a woman in my life. I elbowed a lady in the face one time by accident, and I still feel bad about it. I was half asleep one time and slung a remote control, hit my wife between her eyes. She was asleep on the couch, and it hit her. And that thing, instead of going like it hit the pillow, it went thwack. I said, uh-oh, let me quote what she said. She said, what happened? I said, see, what had happened was... Even by accident, I couldn't even keep my own standards. I mean, really, you know? 
Rarely do you get quote Mike Tyson in a sermon, but Mike Tyson says everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Or punched in the mouth, I think he said. But I know this much. If you got no plan, you're surely going to fall. When I was 14 years old, anybody remember the rink-a-dink? I skated out there one time. I hit that pole so hard, I decided I like. Because <laughs> you know how you do the thing, you get to glide, and you see that girl like. <laughs> I had that mug up on one skate, too, you know. Like, hey, girl. Whoop! I, mean, I, I decided I like sitting off in the corner. <laughs> Tim, don't you want to skate? No. I go to the world of sports. There was no poles in the middle of the floor. Anyway, I walked out of there. No, I mean, let me tell the story. Let me tell the truth. I'm in church. I got kicked out of there one night. <laughs> I walked out, and if y'all can remember that, and if, you know, young, you, you can't, right now, there's a Havoline place right there, but it used to be a little store. Some of y'all remember that. And it, it was closed at the time. But I walked out and I saw a man and a woman arguing over there in that sort of, not really an alley, but sort of dark alley. And, and I just started walking that way. And about the time I got over, he hauled off and slapped that woman. Now, see, where I come from, that'll get your hind parts whipped. So I commenced to lay hands on him. Well, right in the middle of all this, he pulled out a knife. 